Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Wow. Well, we just start with that. You can go down there at verse of 15 or so. It says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Well, y'all, this is what the Lord wants us to do even this week. He wants us to be the reigning influence of our hearts. And one of the great things you could do right now is say, Lord, I don't want any other voice in my life other than your voice. And if there is other voices, and by the way, your spouse, for instance, would probably be a good voice. Let that voice come through Jesus into my life. You get what I'm saying here, right? When we say Christ is the only voice, we're not saying ignore everybody else. Just let those things be going through and filtered through Jesus Christ. And so I think one of the great things that could happen in your life is that you fire your board. Say, excuse me? I think you need to fire your board. Uh, and this is what we're saying. Every, everybody in their mind has a boardroom. And uh, there are a lot of voices in the boardroom. Uh, I got the voice over here of, uh, of football. And I, football runs deep into my blood. I started playing when I was in second grade. And ever since, I've had my favorite. T- so well, you, got the, you got the voice of football over here. Then you got the voice of money over here. All right? So you got football, you got money. Who else we got in here? Well, probably uh, the voice of sexuality. All right? So you got football, you got money, you've got sex. So you got all these board members. You got the voice of uh, your employment over there, right? Uh, the voice of relationships over here, the voice of your spouse over here. So you got all kinds of board members. And one of the great things you can do is to go in there and fire the board because your heart is supposed to be a monarchy. Your heart is supposed to have one king, one lord, one voice. And if those other people do speak, if sexuality speaks to you, it ought to be speaking through Christ as Lord in your heart. Now, can I get an amen on that? And so fire the board. Just go in there and say, all y'all dismissed. Jesus is the one that speaks to me now. The Lord God is the one that reigns supreme in my boardroom. So if you're going to speak, you're speaking through him. Fire your board. Wow. Can we do that? Probably not naturally you can't. Probably need a little grace. I'll go ahead and own up it. You're going to need some grace to make that happen. But make it happen. And I'm going to suggest to you again, that doesn't mean that everybody around you now doesn't speak in your life. It's just they're speaking through Jesus. And if they're speaking truth, remember, any good thing comes from the Father of lights, right? Anything good that's said, it's coming from Jesus, not coming from that person. They're not even capable of saying something good without Jesus speaking through them. So, fire the board. So that's the first part, Christ is Lord. Then ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you. Listen, we have a whole degree at the seminary called apologetics. And uh, this apologetics program basically is saying how you can argue for the faith. I like the program. I recommend the program. Frankly, I think you ought to be in the program. Having said that, guess what? I'm more on board with David Lane this morning. Wave your hand, David. He, he says, I don't know if I want to wave my hand. I'm going to make you look good. Wave your hand. There you go. So you never know around here what's going to happen next, do you? That is the most miserable human being I know, and I want you never to. No, no, that's not what. 
Now, David said something to me the other day. Uh, we were at the abortion clinic, and we're just chatting it up a little bit. And he says, you know something? Uh, the, the greatest thing I could ever do in any situation is give them my testimony because it's my testimony, and you can't take that away from me. Amen? The greatest apologetic of your life is not the fact that you can point to the Bible and hear the 50 strongest arguments of why the Bible is true. By the way, it'd be great to know those things. But if you know those things, still the most powerful thing of your life is not going to be those 50 things. It's going to be what Jesus has done in your life and talk about it all the time. No one can take that away if you can say, well, I just don't agree. I don't know. You don't have to agree with him. I'm just telling him what he's done in my life. And guess what? The person that rejects that, you know what they'll do later? They'll think about it. I know all kinds of people that rejected the message, but the more they thought about it, the more it came back to haunt them, haunting them all the way. You talk about the haunting the Holy Ghost can do, right? Right? It's almost, it's almost that holiday, right? Well, let's talk about the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost can haunt you right back to him. So be ready to make a defense. And the greatest defense you'll ha- ever have is with gentleness and reverence, be able to tell your story. And so uh, this is how you tell your story. Three minutes. In fact, you could do this in a minute and a half. But three minutes is nice. What your life was like before you knew Jesus. Now, some of y'all, you go a long time on that. But just hit the highlights, all right? You can talk about... Uh, most of us have an ego. Most of us have uh, things that rule in our life. Some of us have addictions. Just, you don't have to give us all the gory details. Just say, I was a drunk. I was addicted. I was living for myself. I was a womanizer. Just say it. Say it, and don't be abashed by saying it, because, hey, you're not stuck there anymore. That's the first minute. The second minute is, hey, this is how I came to know him as my Lord. This is how he became the only guy in the boardroom. And then, what has your life been like since then? Can you do those three things? What it was like before Jesus, what Jesus did in my life, and what my life has been like since then. And everybody's got that story. Everybody's got that story. And so you need to tell that story. That's what, and don't do it with arrogance. You do it with gentleness and reverence. And what you're going to do is, if you share that story once a week for the next year, you're going to find people coming to know the Lord. If you don't share that story, people won't come to know the Lord. Just simple as that. What do you want? People coming or people not coming? And Jesus says, share it up. I need for you to share it up. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. The second thing is this. Uh, Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Arm yourselves with suffering. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, flesh, arm yourself also with this same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time it already has passed, it's sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. What did they do? They pursued a course of sensuality, of lusts, of drunkenness, of carousing, of drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, their surprise You don't want to do it with them. (laughs) You won't run to the same excesses of dispensation, and thus they malign you. Part of suffering is no longer doing the things you used to do. And they mock you for it. And they mock you for it. Now, 
I got to tell you, I, I don't know much about this. I'll just say straight up. But my story goes along the line of this. I, I, everybody says, boy, you know, they'll, they'll write me sometimes and say, Matt, boy, those were the years, weren't they? Best years of our life. I'm thinking, best years of our life? Are you kidding me? I hated high school. I, I have, I've been to one reunion, uh, and that was the first one. I said, I don't really want to go back anymore. Everybody's talking about, wasn't that great? Wasn't that fun? And all they're talking about is the beer parties they were at. To this day, 40 years later, they're talking about the beer parties. And in high school, I decided I wasn't going to do those. Now, in junior high, I was kind of a popular kid. But when it became in to go to the things that they were going to, when it became the end thing to do those things, I decided I can't do them. And guess what? No longer are you popular. You're on the outside. And I tell you what, if you're on the outside as a kid that wants to be on the inside, that's kind of hell. Anyway, well, that's not much of a hell. I know. I know. I already said that. I don't have much of a story here. But you ever wanted to be on the inside and couldn't get on the inside? High school was hell for me. So when everybody says, whoa, those are the greatest years of our life, I'm thinking it weren't for me. They were the loneliest times of my life. Until I got out of there. I could find some fellowship out of there. That's when I began thinking, well, maybe this life is worth living after all. It was hard. It was just hard. Hey, we've all had something like that in our life. Or some of us were in that serious stuff. We were into the parties. We were dancing with Satan. We were into the drugs and the alcohol. And then we remember the day when we stopped doing those things. And guess what? All our friends looked back and said, hey, what are you doing? We got all kinds of guys that we minister to, as well you know, in prison right now. And they, they have a, man, I believe it. They have a genuine relationship with the Lord in prison. What I fear, and I talk it up this, exactly this way. Guys, one day you're going to be released, and some are going to be released this week. But one day you're going to be released, and when you walk out that door, your first step, you're going to go rushing back to what do I do now? How can I have my first drink? Where's that friend I used to have? Where's that neighborhood I need to go back to? And guys, you can't do that. You need to write it down tonight. Get a piece of paper out and say, okay, freedom has said, and I believe him, that my first step out of here, I'm going to be rushing back to where I used to be. Do not do it. My first step out of here needs to be to a pastor or to a church or to some man of God that I know and love and trust, somebody that can lead me in a life of discipleship. Your first step out of here has got to be rushing back to God. Almost none of them do. First step out of there, they're rushing right back. You know what I say? And I do this talk with them all the time. Guys, we'll see you back here. You know what's weird? I mean, it really is weird. I see these guys again. So I've seen some of these guys for 20 years. For the fourth and fifth time. You know what I do? I catch myself saying, hey, brother, how you doing? Good to see you again. It's... It is good to see him again, but not here. Not because of the reason I'm seeing you. It's a horrible thing. We've got guys that have come to church here, plugged in, got excited about Jesus, and I see them again. Why? Because they're never really quite plugged in. You know what I mean? And so what this verse seems to say to me is, you need to recognize that it's true. When you get out of here, you're going to have to suffer a little bit Because the easy way to live life is to sell drugs, make a quick income, spend it on what you want to spend it on, instead of saying, let me do the responsible thing, and that is put my resume out there and recognize it's going to get turned down 
50 times because I got the word on there, felon. But you keep moving. You keep trusting. Jesus is about ready to do a miracle if you're willing to trust him. Keep going. Keep going. It's about ready to break for you. And if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to suffer like that, God is going to bless them. And y'all, I think this thing's written down because they're struggling trying to make it in this culture. Suffering enables believers to straighten out their priorities. Do you believe it? Suffering and sinful desires tend to go by the wayside, and they seem insignificant when life and limb are on the line. Serious suffering for Christ advances the progress of sanctification. It is your sanctification. It deepens your life when you suffer. Now, no one here is going to say, well, then bring it on. Suffering? Is that cool? Is that good? Is it good for you? Bring it on. No one's going to say that. I ain't going to say that. Are you crazy like that? Not me. But if it comes, if it comes, let it have its work in your life. Don't fight against it. Receive it. That's a whole lot easier to preach than it is to do. Two choices. Peter's readers face the choice of either taking the path of least resistance that is going right along with the values, with the worldview, with the norms and the practices of their society, or say, no, no, no. No matter what it costs, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I, I've shared this with you before, but when I was in graduate school, uh, some psychology professor, it was an educational psychology is what I was taking, some psychology professor was really kind. He knew this is like the most boring stuff in the history of the world, and so I'm going to be nice to you and give you a text that's actually funny. It was a great textbook, but it was written in humor. Some educational guy says, you know, everybody hates this topic, so let me make it fun. And boy, did he ever. Guy Le Francois is his name. Guy Le Francois wrote this book, and it was a blast to read, and man, I felt my life deepened. So deepened, I can tell you right now, one of the lessons I learned. And that is, everybody has head nodders in their life. What? Head nodders. Got it? Say the word, head nodders. All right, this is what it is. He says, okay. So this is what we decided to do. He was teaching us about behavioral psychology, which is to say this whole thing of conditioning. You can condition anybody to do just about anything. And I believe that's true. You can get people to do the dumbest, stupidest, most moronic, most sinful things if they got enough head nodders or not. So they all sat on the front row, these psychology students, and they had a professor up there teaching them psychology. And it was on behavioral conditioning. And so these guys said, hey, we need to see if this really works. Let's just do an experiment on the professor. So he says, whenever he starts moving to the right-hand side over, because he paced a little bit, whenever he's over here, let's nod our heads big time. And whenever he goes back here, let's stop nodding our heads. Whenever he goes over here, let's take notes and nod. Yeah, oh, man. But whenever he moves this way, let's stop. And let's just see if we can't get him planted over here. And it wasn't long before... The professor's given his whole lecture right here. He was brilliant from here. Not so good over there. He was brilliant from here. So he just stayed here. Then they said, okay, let's erase now. Let's erase that behavior and see if we can't get him over there. Now, he wasn't going over there much, but they stopped nodding, stopped taking notes. So he starts thinking, huh. And whenever he took one step this way, they start, oh, my goodness, yeah. Oh, man, what insights. Professor of the year. He got, they got him where he was giving his whole lecture over here. And pretty soon they said, now, can we do it when he's pacing? Whenever he stops, so they, they were erasing behavior and igniting behavior. So whenever he paces, 
Um, so pretty soon, this guy was running back and forth, giving his lecture. Whoa! <laughs> Freud! I mean, he, he was having a blast. He didn't even know he was being conditioned by the head nodders. Y'all, what does our culture nod our head at? And then what does Jesus nod his head at? It depends on who you're paying attention to as to what you do. And here, I think there's something to be said about, let's pay attention to the God who is willing to do something glorious and unique in our life. Let's pay attention to him, not the world that's trying to condition us into its mold. And then obeying God and suffering ostracism and judgment from the unbelieving family and friends. Y'all, anybody here have a problem with family and friends? Let me tell you what happened one day to me. I was in college again, and uh, I was on a track team. For some reason, I kind of like to hang out with the sprinters. They were the cool guys, and you know, I'm still having this cool problem. I want to be a cool guy. The weight guys, you know, the mm, they grunted a lot. Mm, you know, I just, let me. I want to. I want to go here with these guys. So I started hanging out a lot with the sprinters. You know, and that basically meant you you sort of stretched out with them and tried to talk with them. Anyway, so they kind of let me in. And, and one guy in, in, in particular was a guy named uh, Stan. Stan's a big-time judge now in, in, in New Mexico. Back then, we were just a couple guys, and he became my best friend. He was a black guy. And I only say that because it's relevant to the story. He's a black guy. And so I learned a lot about racial reconciliation and lack thereof while I was with him. It just opened up a whole world to me that I just never saw before. Uh, and so... I was hanging out, he, you know, we were in each other's weddings and the whole jazzmatazz, and we were just great friends, and over the years kind of lost contact. Part of the reason is I live in Mississippi, and he's scared of Mississippi now. He's, no, brother, I ain't headed that state. I heard about that state. No, man. I said, racial, racial relationships are better here than anywhere in the nation, I promise you. And I actually think they are, you know, but yeah, don't be shy. You're going to love it here. You're going to love it. No. I read about them three guys of Philadelphia. I read about this. I read about that. Well, so anyway, he, he never comes. So we kind of, you know, got some distance between us. But every time we see each other, we hug and start telling stories and have a lot of fun. One day, a family member got me a car and said, uh, you can't bring him home anymore. Excuse me? You can't bring him home anymore. Says it makes me physically ill. Well, it sounds to me like you're going to be physically ill from now on because I'm going to bring him home. Now, you know, I didn't bring him home all the time, but for something like Thanksgiving, when he didn't have anywhere to go and I'm looking for a good meal, we bring him along. And uh, this family member had a problem with it. So I got to say, okay, I got some head nodding going on here. Do I go along with the family member that's struggling? with my black friend, or do I say, I think Jesus kind of likes us to be friends. I don't care whether he's black, yellow, red. I don't. He's my friend. White? He's my friend. So I had to go with a head nodding of Almighty God. I also called mom. I said, Mom, is it okay? She goes, are you kidding? We love him. Shoot, more than we love you. Bring him! 
Y'all, who are the head nodders of your life? It matters who's nodding up and down in your life. And Jesus says, if you're suffering, what you may find is I'm especially nodding in your life right now. Don't look at the suffering. Don't look at the people who are bringing you suffering. Look at me. Because I'm doing some of the best work in your life right now if you'll look to see if I'm nodding or not in your life. Amen? And then this. Look down at verse 4-7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment, sober spirit, and prayer. In a time, Peter seems to be saying, in a time of moral chaos, in a time of suffering, when innocents are suffering, the end of all things is near. We need sobriety and we need sound judgment and we need people who are absolutely praying their hearts out. Peter's saying, I need a witness of this. Are you all with me or not? Now, one of the things I've done in my life is because I, I was in the media so much, I was always looking for interesting programming. And regardless of whether it's interesting to anybody else, if it was interesting to me, I thought, let's go with it. And one day I looked on the Heritage Foundation, and the Heritage Foundation had something written up by a guy named Patrick Fagan, Dr. Fagan. And Patrick Fagan had said, I wonder if religion has a good effect on society or not. And so he decided, I'm just not going to do my study. I'm going to look at studies that have already been done for the last 30 years. Let's look at every conceivable study done on religion, and let's see whether or not religion has a good impact or not on culture. Now, if he's looking at America, that means most of the religion he's looking at is Christianity. But he didn't call it Christianity, he just said religion. Most of it was Christianity. And so this is what he found. After looking at about dozens and dozens of study, religion in this nation substantially impacts lower divorce rates, lower cohabitation rates, lower rates of out-of-wedlock births, lower levels of teen sexual activity, less abuse of alcohol and drugs, lower rates of suicide, of depression, and of suicide ideation. Just thinking about it. Lower levels of infectious diseases. Kind of sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Let's bring more of that stuff on. Less juvenile crime, less violent crime, less domestic violence, higher marital happiness and stability, stronger parent-child relationships. Now, this is all the research was saying, are you kidding us? Obviously, it has tremendous effect in culture. Greater educational aspirations, especially amongst the poor. Higher levels of good work habits. Greater physical health. Higher levels of well-being. Higher recovery rates from addictions. Higher levels of self-control and coping skills. Higher rates of charitable donations and of volunteering. And higher levels of community cohesion and social support for those who are needy. We have seen all these things in this church, let alone in the churches all across the Jackson metro area. Of course, Jesus can make a difference in a life just like that. Now, there are, I think, four major gifts that we get from religion. And let's forget about that right now and just go to Christianity. Number one, it's the gift of transcendence. There is a God above all this stuff. He's up there. And he wants a relationship with us. There is a gift of transcendence. I think there's a gift of inquiry. In other words, we start asking the question when we take Jesus seriously, what does Jesus want instead of what do I want? I know what I want right now. I want to have sex with that woman. But what does Jesus want me to have? Sex with your wife. Now you can imagine if you're asking that simple question, how much less chaos there'd be in the Jackson metro area. 
And then you start saying, okay, so the gift of transcendence, the gift of inquiry, the gift of neighbor. You start asking, what's good for them instead of what's good for me? Not just what's good for God, but what's good for my enemy? Enemy? When did we bring that guy in? We're talking about neighbors. We're talking about them too. What's good for the person that's hurting? What's good for this person in church right now? How can I bless them instead of feeling like I need to get blessed? And then number four is this, the gift of prayer. And that is, <laughs> God wants a relationship with us, and that relationship is a talking relationship. Now, I think we, we, we hide prayer behind fancy words, intercession, supplication. Let's just call it what it is, talking with God. He wants me to talk with him. Like when? Right now, Angela, talk to him. Yeah, all the time, every time. You're walking down the street, talk to him. In the car, alone, talk to him. We did it this morning. In the car with your wife, you might feel a little weird, but go ahead and talk to him. She'll get used to it. Just talk to him. That's what prayer is, y'all. And he says, I desire that kind of relationship with you because I want to impact your life, but I want to impact lives through you. Will you let me do it? Will you let me do it? And so we read this and say, he wants to do something powerful in us and through us, and prayer is going to be key to it. All right, there's too much here. Uh, I'm sorry, honey. She always sometimes go, go long here. But there's just too much here. Verse 8, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Can I get an amen? Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. So if you invite somebody to your house, don't bellate because some kid broke the window. Just say, praise God for moving on. I've got the window broken tonight. Cool. And start saying, all right, it's okay, without complaint. Um, verse 10, if you've got a special gift, don't use it for yourself. Use it to serve Amen. somebody. And 11, whoever speaks, do so as if you're speaking the utterances of God. That what's coming out of your mouth ought to be from Jesus, not from you. Let me just take one of these, be hospitable. Y'all, I'm becoming more and more convinced as I read the Bible and as I read what happened in the first 300 years in particular of Christianity, that the key way they shared their faith was they opened up their homes to unbelievers. They just say, hey, come on over, let's eat. You think about that. That would be very consistent with what Jesus was always doing, right? He was with who? Sinners and tax collectors. Oh, tax collectors. He was with sinners around the table, and they did nothing but malign him for it. Remember that? So I heard this thing. Uh, one church tried Friday nights for Jesus. I'm still waiting for a revival of someone to say, hey, that's what we want to do at our house. Where once a month, this family said, we're having people that don't know Jesus with people who do know Jesus. We're asking them in, and we're going to play cards. Friday nights with Jesus. Somebody's going to say, cards are evil. I'm sorry, I'm just telling the story. I'm, I'm just... And they decided, okay, we're just going to play cards. That's all we're doing. Let's bring out the food. Let's go ahead and play some bridge. What? I have no idea what they're playing. I trust it wasn't poker. Anyway, whatever it was. And they said, let's just play cards. And then they start talking. You know how you do in between hands because it's kind of boring to play cards. And so you're doing this and you start talking, chit-chatting. Pretty soon someone says, hey, anybody going to that thing we got at church this weekend? Pretty soon church comes up. Pretty soon Jesus shows up. The guy says, you know, we've done Friday nights for Jesus for three years, 
And not one time within a year's time have we not had significant conversions come through Friday nights for Jesus. Just inviting people into our lives to say, let's have fun. Let's play some cards. And by the way, we can't help it. This is our lives. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about Jesus. And pretty soon they're saying, hey, this sounds like a hoot. These people, I'd like to be around them more often. And your church sounds like a hoot. I'd like to be in that place. Conversions. I am absolutely convinced as I look at the historical record that one of the things, probably the most important thing that was happening wasn't people were getting on top of their chairs and saying, hey, let's preach Jesus. That's not, that wasn't happening a whole lot in the first 300 years. I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't happening. It happened occasionally, but not a lot. What was happening was, can you come over to my house on Friday night? You want to share a meal. That was happening. And people came to know him because of that. Y'all, all this is saying is, Peter's saying, can you take the Lord seriously? If you're going to do it, you need to make him Lord of your heart. If you're going to do it, suffering will come, and it's going to be good when it comes. If you're going to do it, go ahead. Do things like be hospitable and see how Jesus might not work. Lord, to do all the things Peter's talking about, we've got to have nourishment. We've got to have nourishment.